0: Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Just before we begin the Word and get personal, I bring greetings on behalf of Mary Alice, who is in Bethlehem and all of our people in Britain. And for those who don't know much about the work of the Bethel, just going to play a brief video that was put together by Leah Kilman not so long ago, describing the work that we do in detail, and then I'll get on with some other points. So, if we could watch that first, please.
1: The TAL UK has created an effective and unique recovery approach within a faith centered community, restoring and transforming thousands of men and women's lives. Since beginning in 1996, Batal UK has expanded across England and Scotland, hosting over 14,000 men and women struggling with addictions and homelessness free of charge. Batal UK has built a radical model of sustainable, income-generating businesses, staffed by our recovering residents, whilst training them in employable skills. Batal's one-of-a-kind recovery model saves families, taxpayers and the UK government £36 million annually. Between 2013 and 2018, the government closed one-third of all state-funded residential rehabs in the UK. Meanwhile, almost one-third of all drug-related deaths in 28 European countries occurred in the UK. In that same time, Battelle helped thousands of hurting lives on the road to recovery without government funding. The current need is greater than ever for effective recovery and lasting transformation. Results of a 12-year survey show that 97% of Battelle residents who stayed at least 12 months were no longer dependent on drugs or alcohol. 82% are employed, most of them using skills obtained while at Battelle. 91% have seen improvement in family relationships and 62% have pursued higher education or skills training. At Battelle, the people in need become the solution. I think Battelle saves individual people, but it also saves families. So when that person is healed, it heals the whole family.
0: I think I needed Battelle, and the Battelle was where the Lord led me. I don't think if it was anywhere else, I probably would have been... Back on the streets, and probably not even here today.
1: I'm thankful that I didn't die an addict. I'm thankful that I get a second chance. I feel good. I feel like a good person. I'm I'm happy. Batal's innovative recovery model has transformed countless hurting lives and their family members. But financially, we earnestly need you to stand with us. Please partner with us today to support Batal UK. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Leah. That's our latest promotional video and uh, circulating that far and wide as we can. I wanna bring you back to the statistic Ian mentioned. It's actually 21 countries, 100 urban areas, and I wanted to point out that coming soon is gonna be Battelle back in the USA in the Virginia Beach area. And the next slide, please, is the family who are now awaiting a final visa for David, who's British from Nottingham, and his wife Brenda from Ohio. He's stuck in Britain, she's in Virginia Beach, And so we need a breakthrough for him to get a visa, a spousal visa, a green card, to be able to come to the States. But God willing, within the next year, we're going to see Battelle beginning to ramp up and reach out throughout the U.S. Next, go ahead. I want to bring us back to the U.K. and show you our biggest project, in fact, of our entire ministry, is nearing completion, and that's called Anchor Point. It's a venue where we have Multiple businesses where churches are meeting, as well as an outreach to the local community. Birmingham's the second largest city in the UK, and we're right in the city center. That's what the building looked like before. Next. It's a 40,000-square-foot building with parking. Next. And that's what it looked like when we arrived. Next is giving you an idea of huge open space now, like a blank canvas that we're building on. And uh, go ahead. Next, please. <coughs> And this is a God-birth vision. began with dreams that Mary Alice had, three consecutive dreams about 23 years ago. And as I mentioned, social businesses, it's our national headquarters. Uh, It's employing and training for employment, up to 60 recovering Battelle residents, men and women. Our church meets there. Now four other churches are actually meeting in the building as well, using the space. And uh, we're reaching out to Birmingham City Center. So this is a big vision. It's part of Battelle's vision. It's just a different venue the name Anchor point, where we anchor lives and send them in new directions. That's a metaphor for what we do. Next. And so there's our restaurant. You can keep going. That's what it looked like before. That's what it looks like now. So we're that's open six days a week now, reaching out to the community, training our men and women. Next. That's some of the kind of good goods that... We prepare for weddings and different things for people, really beautiful food. Next, that's the kitchen staff. One of the people in there is a missionary. The rest are all recovering baton men and women. Came to us off the streets, out of prison, in great need, and they're learning culinary skills in, in the restaurant. Go ahead, next. This is what our arts hall looked like before. Now, it's a... Go next. It's now a full-sprung dance floor you can turn next. It's also a, we turn it into a theater, a black box theater. And so our team there does all kinds of performances, worship, and we're developing the arts to reach out as a Christian outreach to the whole community where we are. Next. And that's what it looks like today. Next. We have a, yeah, just one more picture at night. And the next ones are the pictures I show everywhere I go. I Because whether you've seen it or not, tough. (laughs) But this, we had William and Kate come to visit us in in 2018. And while I show these now, you can go to the next two. was Kate visiting with us at our restaurant. And what we'd like you to pray for is that as we open this center next year, that they honor the verbal promise they made to us to come back and open the building at a grand opening next year. So pray for that for us. We'd really love to see that breakthrough and see them uh, come and fulfill that promise. And next, yeah, pray with us as well for the last push, the great breakthrough financially that we need. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this in my sermon. But right now, we need another 600,000 pounds. We needed it last week. And so we're stood on the precipice, trusting God, believing his word to us, and asking God for breakthrough. So if you would, remember that, and we're going to see breakthrough, we're going to see the whole place paid for. It's going to be a debt-free site for us, and where God can really boost our businesses and help a lot of people in Battelle and outside Battelle. So pray for that for us, for William McKay to come, and for that last burst of finance And we'll have miracles to tell, okay? We will have great miracles to tell. And the last one is a picture of our interns. So we have interns come. I think we've had a total throughout the nations of Bethel, about 255 interns come over the last 10, 12 years. And men and women come. They stay in our residences. They learn to work with our men and women. They get involved in the ministry. And so I didn't bring any flyers with me. Mary Alice has them all in Bethlehem, but... You know how to reach us, so we'd love for you to pass the word and get some interns to come and serve with us and work, and God does great things in their lives as well as they support the ministry. So we're going to watch a a quick video of our daughter Trish, the sister who's head of Infinite Arts, where what we're doing is opening an internship for artists to come and serve. So I'll let Trish tell the story, it's very brief.
2: We are Infinite Arts, a collective of artists working within the ministry of Battelle UK, which focuses on recovery from long-term addiction. Our purpose is to unlock the creative potential in our community and empower them to embrace their own God-given artistic expression. Throughout the year, we produce artistic workshops, original films, music, and theatrical performances. We have launched our internship program and are looking for other artists who have a passion for both ministry and the arts. This will be an opportunity to get firsthand experience in not only training and performing in the arts, but also discovering what it's like to work alongside our men and women in recovery. If you are an artist looking to serve in the context of ministry, come and join us.
0: So thanks, NC4, for more than 32 years of supporting Mary Alice and I, our mission work others around Battelle, the teams that have come year on year. We are really grateful for your continued partnership with us. As I sat there this morning, I remember, not too long ago, a very senior brother in the faith whom some of us will know, Paul Johansson, got off the plane to visit us in Britain. And the first thing he said to me was, Kent, how old are you? I'm not going to tell you, but I told him. <laughs> and he said, Kent, when you were young, you had a message and now you are the message. That's sunk pretty deep in, inside of me. So I, I pray that something of our lives, something of our testimony, as well, as well as what I share today, will minister life to you. And until you've lived overseas for 33 years, in fact, next year, Mary Alice and I cross a threshold, next year we will have lived longer in Spain and England than growing up in America. That's a big threshold. And until you've lived overseas that long, you don't know how refreshing it is to come home to Pennsylvania, to come home to your home church and family. And I can tell you, being home every time is a deep, rich blessing for us. So we're very grateful for you guys having us, hosting us, and supporting us all these years. Let's turn to the Word of God. This week is Practicing the Way series, part two on prayer, talking with God. And Ian spoke last week on talking to God and Jesus' words in the Lord's Prayer. This morning, I want to give us a few insights to really wrestle with about prayer. Because I find every time I wrestle with the hardest sayings of Jesus, I grow. And we're going to begin by reading Luke 11. Verses 5 to 13. This is our passage for today. Jesus said to them, to his disciples, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I don't have food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Lord, anoint your word to our hearing and speak to his Holy Spirit. In my experience as a Christian, I've found over the years this is... Passage is one of the most pivotal and enlightening about the principles associated with prayer. So, you know, what we know is the Lord's Prayer in verses 1 to 4, which Ian spoke on last week, Jesus presents five prayer points. And they're specific, practical actions and mechanics of prayer, if you will, beginning with our Father and ending with deliver us from the evil one. But this morning in verses 5 to 13, we see Jesus suddenly shift his emphasis... From the practical to the abstract, from specific actions to very specific attitudes that are meant to accompany our daily prayer life. So today, we're not going to look again at the method Jesus gave us of talking to God, but rather a few of the mysteries he presents in these verses, and hopefully their practical application. This morning, we turn from talking to God to talking with or participating with him, in these principles. And three principles, that talking with God means we respect spiritual timing. Second, we practice spiritual defiance. And third, we embrace spiritual adoption. And so in transition from the Lord's Prayer to this passage, Jesus is in essence saying, now I've told you what to pray. There's something equally important you need to know about the Spirit of prayer. Because just as important as what you pray is how you pray. And so, of course, Jesus does what he does best, and he gives us a story to think about. Suppose you have a friend. You go to midnight. The friend says, lend me loaves of bread. A friend on a journey has come to me. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't give you the bread because of friendship, but because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, the first thing is parables are not allegories. So that means not every element in this story has an obvious or a hidden meaning. But what truths a parable does convey will center around the interpretation of a key point. In other words, the story is not saying... That God is like a miserly grumpy neighbor whom we have to wake up if He's ever going to begrudgingly give us what He wants, or what we want. The key interpretation is that even if a grumpy neighbor will eventually give in to your persistence, then how much more will our lovingly heaven, heavenly Father give us answers to our prayers? Well what's also clear here in the context of that key interpretation is that answered prayer pivots on two conditions. The first is persistence. Jesus says the guests arrive unexpectedly. The the surprised host is startled by their late arrival and is forced to ask his neighbor for bread. So what happens? Then he asks, and he asks again. Then he starts pounding and pounding. Unfortunately, Jesus reinforces the obvious point in verses 9 and 10. So I say to you then... Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. So persistence is essential to prayer. But the second and maybe more subtle condition implied here is that asking, seeking, and knocking by nature mean we are also bound to the unpredictability of divine timing. When's it going to come? How is it going to come? I remember it was Pastor Jack, actually, whom I remember pointed out years ago that to seek means you have to look a lot of places where something isn't until you find out where it is. So to talk with God presumes we surrender to his timing, to his terms, not ours. This morning I want us to appreciate that while some prayers... Will be met with quick responses and others won't. We persist. Why do we persist? Because we know the goodness of the giver. We know the goodness of the giver himself. And we persist. We trust that all answered prayer is subject to God's purposeful timing. Looking back on our lives as a missionary family, I'm grateful that several friends and family here at NC4, even in this room, who exercised a lot of patience with us. God spoke to me at 15 years old that I would live overseas, speak Spanish, and help desperate people somewhere in the world. That's all I knew. And I met Mary Alice four years later, 19, and for a total of 18 years, 14 of them as a couple, we waited. Sometimes I wish I had waited better than I did, but we waited. Working jobs, serving to help build a young NC4, asking, knocking, and seeking out every opportunity in search of God's open door. And for years, we clung to those few simple things like a prophetic hope in our hearts. And I remember clearly in 1988, Elliot Tepper, Patel's international director, we met him in Grubb and Trish's living room, and he warned us. He warned me, he said, ooh, Kenneth, 30 years old, if you don't leave America soon, you never will. That put the fear of God in me. I was so desperate. But not until age 33 did we find the divine sweet spot when the slow passing of the current of time finally caught up with God's purpose and we left with our two-year-old Ian at that point and Mary Alice pregnant with Trish to finally join Patel in Spain. It was a long wait. But through it, God delivered us into his purposes. It's not the occasional answers to prayer that Jesus is talking about here or the occasional quick answers to prayer, but rather he took his disciples from what to pray in those five practical steps into telling them about the spirit, the attitude of heart required if we're going to learn to talk with God, if we're going to learn to participate with him. Every one of us here has got to have long unanswered prayers. Maybe you're still waiting for a fulfillment of a promise or a prophetic word like we were for years. And I'm not saying every prayer requires 18 years of waiting, thank God. We're almost 25 years in the case of Anchor Point that I just showed you. But rather, you know what? We need to prepare ourselves that answers to prayer often have appointed times and seasons in life so what if we compare nature's processes to spiritual ones Jesus was always communicating deep spiritual truth in word pictures wasn't he rocks dirt trees weeds seeds so what if in the spirit realm prayers often require different times to answer in the same way different harvests depend on seasons so like Grass for livestock grows and is cut in a matter of weeks depending on the climate. Bread baked and served on the table from threshed wheat might take up to half a year. Apple trees from root stock begin to bear at 3 to 4 years. Grapevines from seed can take up to 8 years. Olive trees from seed can take a generation. It all depends on the divine season. In my 50 years' experience walking with Jesus, prayer has taught me that true disciples have to learn to live by a different clock. You've got to learn to live by a different clock. Because you'll never learn God's ways without surrendering to his timing. And the longer you resist, you'll always be fighting his will. Fighting God's seasons because they conflict with my own. So of persist in asking, seeking and knocking. It means that one of the subtle but unavoidable purposes of prayer is that it slows me down. It nurtures and has nurtured greater trust in God. You know why? Because he forces me onto his timetable and off of my own. But Jesus is teaching in the next verses gets even more radical. Talking with God means learning to respect spiritual timing, point one. But it also requires we practice spiritual defiance. Now, there's one word in this passage. It's pretty obvious, stands out. It's so uncommon that almost every commentator has something to say about it. And Jesus uses the word to describe prayer. In verse 8, he uses the Greek word anideiai to describe why the awakened neighbor finally grants his friend's request. It's that word. And why he hands over all the bread he needs at midnight. And this word must have rung in the ears of his first century hearers. It's translated in English. The NIV reads, as we read before, because of your shameless audacity, he will get up and give you as much as you need. Other dictionaries define it like this. Because of your shameless impudence, because of your brazen immodesty, another says because of your troublesome, annoyingly persistent solicitation, (laughs) he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So by using it to describe prayer, Jesus appears to be making a pretty outrageous point because I want you to imagine which of his listeners stood there then or y- which of us here would even dream Jesus could legitimize such attitudes in the context of prayer to God Almighty because to me I don't know at first reading it doesn't even sound spiritual shameless brazen troublesome immodesty sound a lot more carnal to me than humble and pious don't they? But Jesus uses it, and get this, it's the only time the word appears in the entire New Testament. That's a pretty specific purpose and use for that word. Which means he's deliberately giving an even stronger emphasis to the three action verbs of verse 9. So I say to you, ask. I say to you, seek. I say to you, knock. I want to tell you why preaching these verses today is so relevant to Mary Alice and I. Ian and the leadership team didn't know that, but it seemed like much more than a divine coincidence that I had to preach on these very verses today. It comes, in fact, after 33 years as missionaries, Mary Alice and I need to hear and believe these words as much as anyone else in this room. The years 2020 to 2023 have produced the greatest ups and downs in our ministry history in 30 plus years. After COVID, I'm sure we've got all unique challenges we're facing. But you know what? Rarely do so many things converge at once. I don't know what it's like in your life, but for us in England, it began with Brexit, which was then followed by COVID. Then the war in Ukraine started, followed by inflation and skyrocketing interest rates and energy and petrol costs. And at the same time, due to the pandemic, we suffered the unexpected loss of a third of Battelle's numbers of recovering men and women nationals. That's 130 people. From a peak of nearly 400 recovering men, women, children, families, COVID reduced our numbers to 260. Now, it's still a good-sized number of people. But what that means is 260 men and women are now working to pay for the same infrastructure, the buildings, the vehicles, all the operating costs that once hosted 400 people. And we don't get government money. But instead, we build businesses to pay the great majority of our costs. And if your numbers drop and all the costs keep surging, your income plummets. We're in a place we've never been before. For the first time in 27 years in Britain, we posted an annual deficit. Our costs exceeded our earnings by about $275,000. Now, for a community of formerly unemployable, recovering men and women, that's a pretty big deficit to make up. It's a lot of money to earn in addition to just staying breaking even. And in the last six months... 14 of our long-serving staff members, missionaries, as well as those who've risen up through Bethel during the last 20 years, 20 years, have decided to lead us. So a lot of leadership has dropped off. And so while these years have become the leanest and most challenging ever, we have been severely pruned. Ironically, they've also been the most financially abundant in three years, uh, three decades of ministry right in the midst of the pandemic, God began to fulfill. We had no money. We had nothing before the pandemic. And right in the midst of it, God began to fulfill that 23-year-old vision for Anchor Point. And instead of believing at that point for thousands, suddenly we began to receive millions. In the last three years, generous donors, Christians, many of them non-Christians, Some of them, anonymous, have donated many millions of dollars to make that a reality. I said to somebody earlier, I said, wow, you've done a great job. I said, we haven't done anything. All we did was believe God. It's okay, Lord. And we have seen astounding miracles until, as I mentioned, last Monday. Three weeks from completion of the building, we ran out of money we would have made one of two final large payments to contractors and we couldn't do it. So why this message is so pertinent to our lives this Sunday morning is you know what? For years, our faith motto, Ian will know it, Celine will know it, for years our faith motto has been attempt something so great for God that without him it'll fail. And that's never felt truer. (laughs) We're certain he's spoken to us, yet there's a perfect storm seriously threatening us as a ministry on so many fronts. And let me tell you, we've been asking and seeking and knocking. Yes, many prayers have been answered. But meanwhile, the crises have only multiplied. I've really been finding that there's something that shifts inside of you when unanswered need hardens to desperation in you. When you can't fix things, (laughs) and miracles are really your only last hope. And if I'm truly vulnerable with you, we find ourselves, yeah, a desperate place we've never known before as a ministry. But one of the beautiful mysteries in it all is that the more desperate we become, it has not led us to despair. Sure, we have our anxious moments, but every time we pray, our communing and talking with God means more than ever before in the midst of the crisis, is where you experience that, where you taste that and you find that. Because it's the one use of that one word in all the New Testament, Jesus' outrageous invitation to relentless, shameless, aud- audacious prayer that actually empowers a radical style of praying. It's a level of prayer so persistent that I'm finding it undergoes a transformation. It turns our asking and seeking and knocking into the art of spiritual defiance in us. And the theologian Walter Wink puts it this way, intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what stands in the way of what God has promised. The more I looked at this, the more acts of spiritual defiance I found all over the Bible. And if you'd be patient, I'll give you a few of them. You begin to see Jesus' insistence on annoyingly shameless prayer. It wasn't some radical exception to the rule, it was affirming a principle you find throughout the Bible. Starting, well, I'll give you the most subtle example, maybe. It begins with Mary in John 2. She tells the wedding guests, she tells Jesus, the wedding guests in Canaan, they've run out of wine. And Jesus, in essence, says, what's that got to do with me? Woman, it's not my time. She pays absolutely no attention. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus' very first miracle is prompted by Mary's bold insistence. In 2 Kings 4, the Shunammite woman's son had died suddenly. And Elisha says, I'll send my servant to heal him, but she wouldn't have it. She refused to leave the prophet's side until he himself got up and went And the boy was healed. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah knelt on Mount Carmel with his head between his knees. And remember, he sends his servant up not once, not twice, not three times, not four, five, six, seven times. Until a cloud the size of a man's hand arose from the sea. His persistence brought the first rainstorm to Israel in three years. In Matthew 15... First the disciples, then Jesus, tell this Canaanite woman and her demon-possessed daughter, you're not deserving of a miracle, you're not an Israelite. But she keeps crying out and crying out on her knees until Jesus delivered her and said, daughter, you have great faith. Then as Jesus left Jericho and Mark 10, a blind beggar, remember, starts to annoy the large crowd shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And they tell him, oh, please be quiet. And scripture says, so he shouted all the more. And because of his persistence in faith, he was healed. And one last example that has meant the most to Mary Alice and I in our missionary journey is Jacob's persistence at the river Jabbok, excuse me, in Genesis 32. Remember, all night it says he wrestled with God face to face. At daybreak, his opponent demanded he let him go, but Jacob refused. And he said those famous words, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so God renamed him and Jacob the deceiver became Israel. He who struggles with God. For 18 years, Mary Alice and I hung on to Jacob's phrase defiantly in prayer until finally a new day dawned and the doors really broke open to our missionary calling in Spain at last. Think about it. For Jacob to wrestle with God, to refuse to release him, to tell God to his face, I will not let you go until you bless me, I hadn't seen it before but it's the very same shameless audacious spirit that Jesus expects of us that should characterize our spirit of prayer. So point 1 as we learn to walk with God it's going to test us to live by a different clock to teach us respect for spiritual timing. Scripture also teaches, point two, that desperate times require we practice spiritual defiance, a shameless, annoying, persistent in our prayers. But point three, lastly, we still haven't answered the question that I imagine has got to be troubling some of us. How is it possible to have such an attitude with God and still be pleasing to him? Seems like quite a contradiction. So this hard saying of Jesus, his radical application to the Lord's prayer in these verses only makes sense when we understand our spiritual adoption. And so we read in verses 11 to 13, which of you fathers, if you have a son he asks for for a fish, you give him a snake instead or an egg and you give him a scorpion. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It doesn't sound rational or respectful that Jesus could expect us to pray in such a shameless, like, barefaced way. But here's how it's true. In verses 9, he's telling us to pray. He gives us the illustration of a friend, doesn't he? Go to your friend and be relentless and beg for bread. But in verses 11 to 13, what's obvious is there's a crucial change of metaphor. And he begins talking about prayer in terms of family. He didn't say, pray this way, our friend who art in heaven, did he? He didn't say, pray this way, our judge who art in heaven. No. Shameless, audacious prayer only makes sense because we're approaching a loving father. So if you then are evil and know how to do it, how much more will our heavenly Father give good gifts to his children? It's the fact of our adoption that radically changed our relationship to God when I became a Christian. John 1.12 says, As many as received it, as many believed on his name, he gave them authority to become his children. So that means that by my faith in Jesus' death and resurrection to redeem me, I have been welcomed. You have been welcomed forever into God's family. God is now more to me than Yahweh. He's more to me than Jehovah. He's much more than the Lord of hosts. The fact is, he is now my heavenly father. Jesus is my brother. And this New Testament revelation, it's a huge leap in intimacy, isn't it? Absolutely huge leap in intimacy. Our adoption into sonship is a change, not in our nature, not, it's not awarded because of your behavior or my behavior. Adoption is a change of status by an act of the Father. He chose. And that's what makes perfect sense of Christian prayer, that we approach Him on that basis. We can trust unconditionally. We can relentlessly annoy God. Why? Because it's something little children are permitted to do. So let me close with this. I want to take us higher and take our perspective up to kind of 10,000 feet. (laughs) I once heard wisely said that problems are for solving, but paradoxes are for living. You solve problems, you live paradoxes. For instance, the paradox that an omnipotent God who already knows everything, even asks us to pray in the first place, can seem a strange contradiction. But we have to accept there are truths and mysteries about prayer that are going to forever exist in tension. So, to be clear, I'm not saying today that in the Lord's Prayer, and the parable that follows, Jesus was giving us this fail-proof formula for answered prayer. God is not a genie in a lamp that you rub with prayer, and if you do it long and hard enough, he grants your wishes. Maybe with that, the musicians could come forward. (laughs) And I'll just close as it come up. So here's the tension, brothers and sisters, and we will have to balance this the rest of our lives. On the one hand, prayer, Jesus says, always begins from a place of deep gratitude and reverence, doesn't it? Our Father, hallowed be. Holy is your name. But on the other, there's a shameless access and authority given us, you know what, that is going to stretch our sense of propriety and reverence to the limits. And it's we only have that privilege for one reason, because we're children of a loving father. And I'll close with these strong words that will challenge us, I think. The words of late Tony Miller, if some of us remember him. He said what Jesus unveils in verses 5 to 13 is a surprise saying, the hard saying that as God's son or daughter, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you demand. Just like Jacob wouldn't let go until God blessed him, just like blind Bartimaeus wouldn't shut up, true sons don't take no for an answer. Is his adopted children, we've got privileges and intimacy and unconditional acceptance like nobody else. You and I have access to the Father no one else has. And the reason we do isn't because of my shameless persistent or my reverent elo- eloquent que- uh, prayers. It begins and ends with Jesus Christ, who came, who lived a perfect life on earth, who died to pay the penalty for our sins for our imperfect lives and was resurrected so you and I now share in his life and power. In Jesus, God proved he can be trusted. So through prayer, Jesus invites us into a deeper relationship, into the rewards of our adoption. Let's stand together. prayer Jesus invites us into a deeper relationship into the rewards of our adoption to speak with God as sons and daughters should and let me just refresh you to remember thankfully you know, no matter what you're facing this morning we can trust his divine timetable as we surrender ours to his trust him We can trust his timing, no matter how or when he chooses to answer our prayers. And we can petition him shamelessly, brothers and sisters. Here's what you need to trust. He knows how to give his children good gifts much better than you and I do. And we can trust that. Father, we thank you for the power of prayer, for the access... Through which we humbly enter on the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is ours through faith by your grace and I pray Father that something of our lives of these words this morning would sink deep into us to challenge where we feared being shameless where we resisted your timing or we've not appreciated just how intimate our relationship is with you, Father God. Bring us up higher as children. Bring us into a, a deeper, richer place of relationship and prayer, Father. We ask. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.